Welcome to the Clifford Chance Careers Podcast. Our Celebrating Culture series recognizes the cultures that make us who we are and that shape the diversity of voices at Clifford Chance. My name is Ebu Shayinka, and I'm the Global Marketing and Employer Brand Specialist here at Clifford Chance. And I have the pleasure of being joined here today by Senior Procurement Manager Danielle Douglas and Senior Associate Roy Appiah. They are also both co-chairs of the London Reach Network, which is the firm's network for advancing race equality and celebrating heritage. And they are also two people who don't just talk the talk in terms of advocating for racial equality, but genuinely and consistently walk the walk. In part due to their invaluable contribution to our firm, many people, including myself, have never known a clip of chance without organized initiatives and networks to support specifically racially diverse employees. Now, um, that introduction out of the way, welcome to you both. How are you doing today? Really good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit gassed with that interview, like, <laughs> that, that, that introduction. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm sitting down. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm pleased to hear it. Um, it's great speaking to you both as part of our Celebrating Culture series especially because so much of this year has been focused on, you know, talking about the black community um, in terms of sort of adversity. I'm glad to be speaking to you at a more celebratory time because I think that's, uh, what does Black History Month mean to you both? Um, we'll start with you again, please, Danielle. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, well, I was born here in the UK, um, but both my parents were born in Jamaica. I've been brought up to be extremely proud to be Black Caribbean. And so Black History Month for me, is that time to be unapologetically extreme in my love and celebrations for all things black and beautiful. Um, black people have contributed so much to British society, most of which goes untold or is hidden from history books. And I love that Black History Month provides us with a focused time to bring all of these things to light. Personally for me, and certainly in the last four years or so, Black History Month is basically every month for me. Yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, how about you, Roy? What does Black History Month mean to you? Um, I think for me, it's kind of evolved actually. Like, I there was a time where I used to view Black History Month as a as just a way to celebrate Black excellence. Um, and this year is kind of one of those years too, in that like I've never been so personally hit by celebrity deaths like Kobe Bryant and um, my goodness, Chadwick Boseman, um, like to me, who were just key examples of, of black excellence. And then I guess as time has progressed, I've started to think about why did I need to see these almost visions of, of that as if it was an anomaly. Um, and so I think what Black History Month means to me now is that I think whilst that it's still about learning and celebrating black excellence, it's doing so with the understanding that that's not abnormal um, and that's not unusual. And that separately from that, I guess, when I, I guess that my perspective sort of started to change a bit when I visited Ghana. So I'm, my parents are from Ghana. I'm from Ghanaian heritage, but was born and raised in the UK. And when I went to Ghana as an adult now, um, 
it didn't necessarily align with my perceptions of what I guess the Waffle Guard tells me about it. When it was, I saw some of the former shanty palaces and things, and it kind of just, not that I seemingly needed to be reminded, but there was a time and there is a huge part of history involving black people that started before that that wasn't just, I guess, about being enslaved and colonized. Um, and there's so much to be proud of. And it's a huge part of not just, I guess, um, British history or but world history. Like the first person was discovered in Africa. So black history is history. And so why it's important to me is because we get to see some of those key aspects of world history um, and hopefully in highlighting that people tend to have a different perception of black people. Thank you both um, for those really, really powerful answers. Actually, a really great way to sort of start. Um, but I, I certainly will say I, I can understand that, um, what you said, Roy, about the focus on black excellence, which almost leads to a belief in sort of the exceptionalism of that. And I think we, we too often lose um, sort of the beauty of the everyday, the beauty of the ordinary. Um, and that's where the, the, the power is. That's where the, the real, I suppose, beauty is, is, is the everyday. Um, but you talk a bit about your family, Roy. So I think that it leads nicely into the next question. Can you tell us a bit about where your family is from? Um, so my family is from Ghana. Um, my parents are from, well, my dad in particular is from a place called Kumasi. Um, which is, I guess, um, one of the, I like to think of it as one of the second cities. Um, and, yeah, it's very community-orientated. Um, and ever since, I guess, they they moved here and growing up, like, whilst um, we were very much in the UK, we always had a small portion of Ghana with us <laughs> in our home. So, um, yeah, it's always been a big part of, of my life and identity. Um, yeah, I think many people can relate to their parents replicating their countries of origins in their own home. Um, Sadio, how about you? Can you please tell us a bit about where your family is from? Sure. Um, as mentioned, both my parents are Jamaican. Um, my dad is from a small town in Jamaica called Trelawney. It's the same town as um, Usain Bolt, fun fact. And my mum was born in Portland, but grew up in Kingston. So. My dad came over with his parents and sisters when he was eight. He's the only boy with four sisters. But my mum came over when she was 16. So when my mum met my dad, you can say that um, she was a bit more of a freshie. My dad had definitely gone through um, education in the UK, so was a bit more British, whatever that means, by the time he met my mum. Um, but my sisters and I have tried to trace our family tree. It's really difficult with Jamaica because, one, a lot of the records are in um, old town halls. So unless you're physically over there, it's really hard to kind of get any information from there because it's not digital. And also um, a lot of Jamaicans just had a habit of not registering their kids when they were born on time. So there'll be people that, you know, probably were born in like 1956, but, but they can't say something else. Um, but what we have managed to find is that on my dad's side, his, great grandfather's grandfather we believe was a white man um a white scottish man the name randy is actually scottish who had a plantation over in jamaica 
my mum's side is a bit more of a cocktail and is really difficult. Uh, but what we have kind of found so far is actually my mum's got roots in Panama and India. Um, so, yeah, you know, one day I would love to really be able to fully, fully trace it. Um, but that's kind of where my roots are so far. Oh, wow. Uh, that's really fascinating and really interesting. It sounds very much so like your family's history has really shaped you. Can you tell us a bit more about what you consider to be the key experiences that your family have had, which have contributed to where and who you are today? Danielle, um, can we start with you, please? Yeah, definitely. Um, if I think about it, there's probably two key things for me. One is probably um, my dad's experience in the Met Police. My dad joined the police force when he was um, 17 or 18, and this was after trying to be a pilot, but his eyesight wasn't good enough. And so he joined the police force um, and he retired at 50, but he worked his way up to be Detective Chief Inspector of Scotland Yard. And um, I've just always been brought up with a really strong sense of kind of community, working hard, and my dad being quite a, you know, a key senior police officer, um, which at times wasn't always easy. He would get a lot of um, kind of pushback from the black community who might have seen him as a sellout. You know, he was there in the Brixton riots having people throw things at him. Um, but my dad was often the only black person, you know, he, he, he described a story to me when they're on their way to the Brixton riots in the van. He's the only black man in the van. And a lot of them are in, a lot of the other police officers in the van are using the N-word saying, yeah, we're going to get these people, you know, using the N-words. And they would turn around and say to my dad, oh, but not you, you're all right. And he just shares so many of these experiences, which kind of really helped shape me as an individual. Um, and yeah, they're great stories. And I guess the second main thing is when my parents, for some odd reason, never, I still don't understand it to this day, decided to move the family to Maidstone in Kent. And for me, it was the biggest clash of culture. This is me as a 14, 15 year old girl being brought up in Southeast London went to an extremely multicultural school to then be moved to another school where I was the only black girl in the year it was difficult and that time really taught me resilience and it really did shape me and I just got very used to being the only black person in a room and I had to take that to uni being the only black girl who studied human genetics in you know at Nottingham in that time and then now to often being the only black woman in a meeting room. So I think all of those things have shaped me. And one other story I would say that I always remember is when I was at school in Maidstone, um, at summer, a lot of the white girls used to say to each other, oh my gosh, you look so brown. And I used to be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean she looks brown? And I, they tell me brown is what they mean by tan. And it was just learning all these little different things that I just was not exposed to growing up in Southeast London but has really helped me kind of navigate myself, always be my authentic self and just, yeah, and just really shaped me as an individual. Um, wow. Um, as a young person who also moved to Kent for reasons I also do not understand, even I personally have benefited from hearing how that shaped you and helped you be more authentic um, because those are really similar experiences for me. I was the only well, one of two black girls in my year at school and black girl number two was my twin so quite a similar experience to you um and you as well boy same question um i guess i think 
the 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 key experience, I guess, that um, I think is a bit of a metaphor for how my family and culture has kind of shaped who I am today is really about how my dad came to the UK um, in that he left um, Ghana, I guess, in his early 20s um, without, well, he left um, a fairly comfortable life, actually. He was like a bank manager, came to the UK with no idea of what it would be, but just, I guess, I hope it would be better. Um, his sister kind, um, kind of used up most of her savings to help him do that. And then he, when he got to the UK to pursue all these brilliant opportunities, the first job he got was as a fruit picker and then as a cleaner. And then he, for the most of my adult life, worked um, two jobs. Well, for most of my childhood and, and my adult life, he worked two jobs, both night and day. So we're very conscious of um, for coming back from school, <laughs> had to be quiet. Um, but why I say that has shaped a lot of my experiences is because I think it kind of emphasized, I think, uh, well, tr I, I guess, a fairly common narrative in in a lot of, I guess, um, black households or ethnic minority households that you really have to work hard and to maybe get not as twice, but to get half as far, so to speak. You have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And so that was really a big emphasis on myself and seeing the bigger picture um, and always trying to be the best that I could be, um, I guess in some ways led me here. And then the other aspect of that story is that how his sister helped him and how as part of our culture and the idea of family is, is so important um, and that you help each other in whatever way you can. Um, and that that's manifested in having like growing up having relatives come to stay for sometimes indeterminate amounts of time and being shipped out of your room so to speak um and to, to nowadays where i guess for me that extent like i guess the idea of family goes beyond your immediate family and to the community as a whole and i guess with me i see that as a giving back to people and reaching out to people so that um i guess when others succeed we all succeed it's not i guess just about us so i guess i think that um particular thing is that story kind of encompasses some of the key aspects of the culture that have impacted me if i may add um roy you know that really resonates with me and I don't know if this is the same for you, but I, I do feel like, and especially in a lot of black households, that our parents, our grandparents made a lot of sacrifices for us to have what we have, whether it be education or that, the houses that we were able to grow up, grow up in and so on. And I think there is a strong kind of desire, or there definitely is for me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Roy, I think it is, that we kind of do better than the generation from before. So with all the hard work that our parents would have put in to, to get us where we are, I definitely think that a lot of us feel a sense that we have to kind of do better than what they did to also show that it wasn't in vain and to give back. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And um, it's definitely a, like almost continuing that legacy and, and 
and knowing that yeah that the sacrifice wasn't in vain and it was for something um and that yeah absolutely i can't agree anymore really i for one could listen to you both talk about this particular topic all day um because I, I don't really i don't really want to speak for our listeners but i think so many people will be able to relate to so many of the things that you just talked about but one thing that really struck me was how much you both clearly really communicate with your families and really know where you're from and know your history and i think that is so important particularly for immigrant families or relatively um, in somewhat recent history immigrated families because there are so much so many gaps in, in our memories but we can't often sort of go forward with the pride and the level of pride that we need to have without knowing where we've come from and why we're here and who invested in us for us to be here because that's often what motivates us to keep going in the face of adversity. So thank you both for sharing that. Um, moving on to that, that, I think a somewhat more lighthearted question, um, potentially, if you have to choose three words or phrases to describe your African heritage, Roy, what would they be? Um, if I have three words, but when, once you said it like that, I guess the phrase would be annoyed. One of them, it's a, I'm going to have an extra, is a noise. It's like, hey, or something, like, which um, is just when I think of gatherings and stuff, you will hear that a lot <laughs> um, from relatives and stuff. But onto my actual three words, I think the first one is family. Um, it, it took a while as a, I guess, a child to fully grasp the extent of family and how I could meet all these people who are my cousins um, at any function that I went to. But um, the, I guess the concept of family goes way beyond, I guess, the immediate family and to the community as a whole. And it's it's actually really a greater concept. Um, and it's really the idea that everyone looks after one another um, everybody's invested in, I guess, you as a person and your success um, and helping you when you're struggling, so to speak. Um, so I think that's a big part um, of the culture. Um, I think the next one is courage. I guess when I look at all my, like my parents, my, my uncles um, and aunts and all they have, achieved and gone through and had to come I guess leaving home and broadly what they knew to go to somewhere else I don't know if I could just do that without um the I guess a knowledge of what that might look like so um that bit of courage um helps me and and give I guess gives me some more courage in understand look what I what the challenges I'm facing now is never as significant as that um so so that's another aspect for me and then the last one is respect um i think there's a huge huge emphasis in the culture sometimes annoyingly sometimes in that there is um a level of respect for elders in which is is great in the sense that they're certainly more revered than i think in perhaps here um where they have such an important role in society when you get old there, which maybe isn't reflected here. But one of the best bits about that is that traditions and stories and um, ideas keep getting passed down. And then I think that respect also extends to, um, I guess, people's pride in, people respect people taking pride in what they do. Um, so people obviously like there's 
often the very common African joke that, um, and I am to some extent a victim of it, where people love people with careers, so to speak. So like for lots of family members, I don't have a name. I'm just the lawyer. Um, but the, my mom used to tell me this story that what what is really respected, and she used to tell me this story that um, one of the people in her village was a shoe shiner, but he took such pride in his work that everybody knew that that guy was the best of what he could be. Um, so yeah, so those are, I guess are the three words <laughs> and uh, a phrase. Thanks for sharing, Roy. Um, the three words you chose were great, but I think my favorite was still the first sound that you made. Um, Danielle, can you please answer the same question? If you had to choose three words or phrases to describe your Caribbean heritage, what would they be? Yeah, mine has similar sentiments to Roy's. They're different words, um, but kind of similar kind of themes. Um, I'd probably say the first one's eclectic. When I think of Jamaica, there's so much that makes it. So we're talking from the amazing food to the, 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 the rum, the great drinks, the, the sugar cone, the people, the music, the reggae, the beaches, the, the history. Um, there's just so much and there's just so much colour. So I'd probably say eclectic. Um, the second word I'd say is strong. Um, and this talks to the resilience of the people and actually the history and what they've been through. Um, as Roy mentioned, it's a similar thing with a lot of Jamaicans that they left their families, they left their home, they left everything new um, to take on something completely unknown with a promise that, you know, for a lot of them actually wasn't fulfilled in their first couple of years of arriving in the UK. Um, but they pushed through because they knew their reasons, there was a bigger purpose. And there is just such a strength, I think, with black people in general, to be quite honest, with such a strong people mentally and physically. Um, so strong is definitely where they resonate. And then slightly similarly, um, Roy mentioned this um, in his description, but my next phrase is kind of that recounting of memories. Jamaicans always have a story. You can ask them a question, of even directions, and it can end up turn into a story. Or they always knew a guy that did this, or a girl that did this, or a woman that could. And every kind of um, generational tale, um, you know, or old wife's tale, there's always some kind of story, and, I, and it's wonderful. And that's what I think brings the, the colour, the imagination, the creativity, um, and that just handing down from generation to generation is all around the recounting of memories. Thank you both for sharing that. Um, as much as you both have different cultures, one thing that definitely came across in both your answers, I think the word you used, Roy, was courage, and the word you used, Danielle, was strong or strength. Um, it's certainly something I think would echo in a lot of what people from very different black communities would say, because we have had to be resilient. Um, and it's really interesting to hear the different ways that that's played out in both of your lives. Um, if I personally was to choose three words to describe where I'm from, which is Nigerian, I'd probably simply say, Nigerians are everywhere. That's probably my three words um, to summarize my culture. Um, but moving on to the next question, what are some of the qualities you've developed through your experiences as both a black British woman and also through your Jamaican culture that makes you feel like, that, that you feel makes you a better procurement professional and a team leader, Danielle? 
Um, there's there's so much um, that I think just the way I've been brought up being Jamaican also being British has shaped me but I guess one of the first things that come to mind is just being hard working um, and wanting to do everything to the best of my ability I went to um, a private school before my parents um, ripped me away and moved me to Maystone I was at a private school and it was always very competitive and I'd always had been brought up wanting to do the best and actually understanding that my best probably needed to be double um, best um, just to kind of be above or at the same level as some of my white counterparts. So I've always been working or had that sense of putting in a lot and working really hard. Um, And I think that still comes through in what I do as a procurement professional and as a team leader, because I'd say I have quite high standards, but I think my team would know that with Danielle, there's quality. And so I kind of expect really good output. Um, I would also say the need to be a role model. I've just, it's just ingrained in me. And I think it's because, you know, my parents, I think are fantastic role models um, for me personally, but growing up, there wasn't many visually, um, especially in the kind of corporate non-sports world. Um, You know, Roy mentioned earlier, Kobe Bryant and Paddock Bosman, which, you know, that they were, still are to be quite honest with their legacies great role models of today but growing up I didn't really have many strong black female role models outside of my family and I always wanted to be that for someone else so I think I definitely have brought that into my into the workplace and especially with what I do with reach that is at the heart of what I do I do want to be a role model and I guess last um but not least I would say there's just a resilience um, through all my experiences in London and in Kent and in understanding what my dad went through as a police officer, in understanding what my mum went through and coming over here at age 16 um, and, you know, still building a wonderful life for my, 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 my family, there is just a strong resilience. And, I've, I've, you know, I've been subject to racial abuse. I've been, you know, and discrimination it's been tough often, you know, trying to rise up the ranks in a, in a, just in a firm or in a, in a business um, and feeling that your, your, your colour or your heritage has been a barrier um, but not letting that stop me. Um, I would never, ever let someone else's opinion of me stop me from reaching my highest heights because I'm my biggest advocate. And nobody can tell me whether I'm going to succeed or fail except for me. And that kind of hard resilience has definitely come through from how I've been brought up. And I do bring that into my um, my procurement career and I do bring that into my team, um, you know, in the sense that we navigate our own destiny and our career is in our own hands. And I do say that to my team and I do help them with understanding that you know, when it comes to personal development and let's say promotions or even rising up the corporate ladder, if there isn't an opportunity here, we will help you get that opportunity elsewhere because, you know, not one company is going to dictate your future. So, you know, I think they're all elements that I've definitely brought into um, me being a procurement professional and a manager of a team. I think anyone who knows you would agree with absolutely everything that you've just said um, because we all see it. Um, and- Roy, same question to you. Um, um, what are the qualities you've developed through your experience as a black British man 
and also through your Ghanaian culture that you feel makes you a better lawyer? Um, I think, I guess, some of them are quite similar to Danielle's. Um, I think, like, similarly, I think being hardworking um, is definitely something that um, stems from, I guess, I guess my experiences and, and my culture in that sometimes even just like from early in in school studies and stuff where <laughs> I'd come home, I'd be quietly proud or happy with myself because I got a good grade or something. Then my dad would say, what was the highest? And <laughs> then if I wasn't the highest, then he'd say, well, that's what you should be aiming for. And if I was the highest, he goes, why did you get some questions wrong? Um, so So just knowing that not being satisfied um, was very important for me because I, I guess as well sometimes, and I guess this kind of would, might lead on to a, another point, is that sometimes when you're uh, growing up as a, well, as a, as a black boy, um, people don't necessarily have expectations for you that befit your abilities. And so it's very important for me, um, and I guess it's, it's hugely important that my parents kind of established that kind of mentality in me that I can do more and I can be better and I shouldn't allow other people to put limits on what it was that I could do. So um, so that was a huge part in ultimately actually even me, I guess, pursuing the subjects that I ended up doing and then even going on to university and going to get a law degree and even applying to a firm like Clifford Chance. Um, and being here. Um, so, so that was really important, I guess, in the person I am today. I think the other thing, um, one of the others is around communication. Um, I think one of the things I was regularly put in, well, one of the things culturally I was put in places where sometimes you're clashing with cultures. So I spoke a bit earlier about there's that a huge deference to elders which is absolutely fine and it's absolutely right. But sometimes you, it meant that when you disagree, you have to be able to articulate yourself in a way that's respectful um, to show a different perspective, but appreciating um, how their perspective and demonstrating where you're coming from. And I think that has held me in good stead because I guess, aside from that, just in, I guess, inter-community, it's helped me to see perspectives, I guess, in my professional, different perspectives in my day-to-day -day work, but also in talking to people more generally, because as well as that, um, as, a, like, as someone who was doing well academically, and then I was actually quite good at sports, I'm in very different environments. So I also got very used to being comfortable as like one of the only people that look like me in spaces and knowing what came with being that um, and some of the unfortunate perceptions that go with being that person, being a black person or particularly a black boy um, and having to articulate myself so people can see where I'm coming from and pejorative and challenge potential stereotypes that they have. So I think that's been a huge part of, I guess, of, of my upbringing. And I think it's a, a thing that people notice one of the things I guess people noticed about me. I think the other thing is perspectives. Um, I guess when you you know some of the challenges that 
I guess um, I say challenges, but that comparatively that my parents faced and I guess people in our community have faced um, beyond, I guess, our day to day. Um, it it kind of gives you some perspective because it's very easy to think that not to diminish like anything I've gone through in my career or career wise, but it's very easy to think that everything's the end of the world. Um, and when you think about like some of the real challenges I, I would describe in terms of life or death, so to speak, and that some of your family are faced, it helps you put into perspective, like, fine, this isn't great and this is a struggle, but but it's not the end of the world and you can get through this. Um, so that that's helped me and I think it means I'm generally quite calm under pressure. And then I think the last thing is talked a lot about um, this idea of family and the wider family and, and supporting one another. I think that's something that I guess I take in my work. It means that I think it helps me. I'm generally a good team member to be part of. I'm very focused on um, helping out and um, supporting people when they need it and helping people come through, I guess, more generally and progressing um, in a way because I, because that's just, I guess, a cultural thing that we do. And also I appreciate all the people and think of where I might have been with how other people reaching back to help me too. So I guess those are some of the things that um, I guess I've learned from my experiences and I can trace back to, I guess, my experiences as a, a black man and, and my Ghanaian culture. Thank you. Um, what I found really interesting in both of your answers for this question and other questions is that it sounds like the unique people that you are today is a fusion of both your, your cultures and being sort of black British people, because you talk about what you brought from home and how that interacted with sort of the wider British society. And that it's this fusion that helped you be able to better sort of interact with different kinds of people. And that's one of the blessings, I suppose, of being black and British is that com combination of both our cultures and sort of British culture that makes us as equipped as we are to do our jobs and be citizens of, you know, of this country, to live how we live and con contribute as, as well as we do. Um, so thank you both for sharing that. That was really insightful and enlightening. And as I say, I personally, I've really benefited from hearing you both speak today. Um, I would like to close with a few, this time genuinely more lighthearted questions, um, if that's okay with you both. Um, this is the final three. Um, I'd like to start with you, Rory, this time. What is your least favorite and favorite Ghanaian food? Ooh, um, I guess my favorite would probably be, I'm going to start some trouble here, would, would be some jollof rice with like, um, I guess, all the trimmings. So like some, some, some chicken and some plantain and some all sorts. Um, but I guess my least favorite if ever, I don't. I, the taste is nice, but but the smell, oh, it's so bad. So it, I've got to say, like some spinach stew, like that's yeah. The, the smell is is is, is an abomination, then. but it tastes quite nice. Often, Roy, the the sign of really good food is that it might not smell as great as you would like it to, but that's not what it's about. It's about taste. Oh, wow. I think we can agree to disagree on that one. We can agree to disagree. Um, same question to you, Danielle, please. What is your least favourite and favourite Jamaican food? 
Oh, I don't really have um, a least favourite, but what I don't really like is really spicy, spicy food. So hot pepper sauce, I just don't understand. Like my dad will put hot pepper sauce on everything. And to me, that just ruins everything. So I don't like hot pepper sauce. I hope you can accept that as an answer. I um, accept. Thank you. <laughs> Favourite? Mm. This, this is difficult because I literally think Jamaican food is just the best. But one thing I do like is we have these things called dumplings, boiled dumplings. Um, and normally you do just eat them um, once they're boiled. But if you, for example, have them left over the next day, you can cut them up and fry them. And they are the best. And you can have that with chicken. You can have that with fish. You can even have it as part of a breakfast. So fried, boiled dumplings, yeah, to me, that's the best. With a bit of salt, perfect. Um, when lockdown, or not so much lockdown, but when this year is over and we're back in the office, I would love to taste them, please. Danielle, you did show that to me. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> thank you very much. Next question. This one's for you specifically, Roy. What are your top three favourites, um, or who are your top three favourites, Black or his? Um, this is quite hard because I guess I always end up getting, um, I always end up thinking about authors I've read recently or have in the end, fortunately, had the opportunity to meet. So I guess the three would be Maya Angelou, who I wish I ha would have met, um, Inoue Elams, who we were lucky to have come in and um, a couple years ago and is the playwright of Barbershop Chronicles, which was a, one of my favorite plays. Um, and then A Carla's Natives is a really, really interesting book to me and it resonated a lot with me. Um, it's weirder because there would have been a time where it would have been entirely authors of fiction, but it seems I don't really read fiction much anymore. Um, thanks for sharing. Uh, I was actually there when you interviewed both Inua Elam and A Carla. Um, and very much enjoyed both of those um, occasions. Last question for you, Danielle. If you had to choose a song that you associate most fondly um, with, with Jamaica and with your culture, what song would you choose? Yes, um, most definitely and without a doubt, this song just reminds me of all things old school Jamaica. And my dad, it reminds me of just family parties with the aunties and uncles. And it's a song by a guy called Beres Hammond. And I want everybody to YouTube this. Beres is B-E-R-E-S Hammond. And the song is called What One Dance Can Do. And it is just a tune and it will make you vibe. And it's basically recounting a story. Like I said, Jamaicans love to tell stories. And it is just, it just makes me feel so warm and fun inside. So yeah. Um, but I would say that my favourite genre, um, that's changed. So, you know, growing up, I have two older sisters who are six and eight years older than me. I grew up on old school R&B, so Keith Sweat, SWV, 702, um, Black Street. So those kind of vibes, boys to men. But as I've got older, um, nine times out of ten, I'll be playing some type of gospel music. Thanks. Um, I I also enjoy a lot of gospel music. Uh, if I can say my favourite answer to all of these questions was when Danielle said she doesn't have a least favourite 
Jamaican food. I love that you are loyal to the very end. <laughs> um, thank you Thanks. both so much um, for answering these questions. I have really enjoyed speaking to you both. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and yeah, I think I can let you go and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to the Clipper Chart Careers podcast. If you enjoyed this, you may be interested in listening to some of our past episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on future episodes coming soon. To find out more about Clipper Chart, please visit our website. The content of this podcast does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Specific legal advice about your specific circumstances should always be sought separately before taking any action. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in our podcasts do not necessarily reflect the position of Clifford Chance.